Welcome to Girls Camp. It's me, your host, Haley Rawl. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas for those who celebrate and for those of us who have a complicated relationship, maybe now with Christmas, which is the topic of today's episode. Today, we're talking about navigating Christmas, navigating. I don't know if any of you, if all of you saw, but I did an anonymous question box on Instagram and had people write in anonymous questions and someone wrote in and said, you use the word navigate too much, LMAO. And now I notice every time I say that word, which to be fair is a lot, but I love the word and I should probably look up some synonyms to kind of widen my vocabulary when I'm trying to say something akin to navigate. But for now, navigate it is. Anyway, we are talking about navigating Christmas as post-Mormons, potentially as people in a faith crisis, and also potentially as people who have deconstructed or stepped away from Christianity. And I had some people write in when I was asking you all to send in questions or thoughts about this episode, and they said, please remember that not everybody who leaves Mormonism also steps away from Christianity. You know, a lot of people leave Mormonism and still identify as Christian. And yes, I know that that is the case. Thank you for the reminder. I do my best and will continue to do my best to hold space for that experience as well because I have deconstructed Christianity. I inevitably will be speaking from that standpoint, but let it be known that I love and respect everyone and I think that's such a valid, beautiful, wonderful experience to step away from Mormonism and find a connection to Christ in a different way. I really do. So I hope to do my best as I talk about that topic, but I wanted to make a note of that. As is usually the case, when I was preparing for this episode and kind of pondering on what I wanted to talk about, I realized there is a lot to talk about. And a lot of it for me, as you can imagine, with it being Christmas as the topic, is about the Christ thing. So I found myself, as I was thinking about Christmas, thinking about my relationship with Christ in the past and how I feel towards Christ now. And so I'm going to get into that a little bit. It's not going to be a deep dive, but I want to talk just briefly about the history of Christmas and then kind of the Christ elements as I relate to them now. Then I'm going to read some of the more logistical questions that you all wrote in about how to do Christmas time as a post-Mormon, potentially post-Christian, and some really good suggestions that many of you wrote in as well. And then to top it all off, we will be reading through and reacting to crazy Mormon Christmas stories. I wasn't going to do crazy Christmas stories because I didn't know how fruitful the intersection of Christmas time and Mormonism and crazy stories would be, but I should not have underestimated the stories that we all have to tell because there's some really good ones and I'm excited to get into the story section of this episode. Before we hop in, I would like to luxuriate a bit in today's campfire chat because it's a solo episode and because I have a couple kind of major life updates to share with you all. And I genuinely feel in these campfire chats that I am catching up with friends and things will happen in my life that I'm like, oh, I need to tell the campers about this. Like, I can't wait to go on the podcast and talk about this. It feels like I'm chatting with friends. So anyway, the first life update kind of big thing that happened to me in the last few weeks is that I had, for lack of a better term, a friendship breakup with a friend of mine who I've been close with for a long time. Our friendship has kind of struggled over the past year or so, and I've alluded to that a little bit on the podcast, but things kind of came to a head and we parted ways as friends. And the reason I bring this up, I am going to do an episode this month where I talk exclusively about friendships, friendships as adults, female friendships, friendships that potentially have some sort of faith transition or mixed faith dynamic, which this friend of mine, we didn't have that. But I just think it's such an important topic. I think it's really underspoken to because friendship issues, friendship challenges, you know, growing apart from friends or no longer speaking with friends can be so difficult. I have found it so difficult, way more difficult than any 
romantic breakup I've ever gone through. And I just don't feel like that's spoken to as much as I would think it would be. Anyway, I'm going to give that its whole own episode where we talk more about that stuff. But I wanted to say that because I also got fired from my day job. I didn't really get, well, yes, I got fired, but my position at my day job was eliminated. So it wasn't anything personal. It's not like anything was like wrong or bad, but my company did some downsizing and I got laid off. So I have just been thinking a lot about these two kind of big life changes and reflecting on how I feel about them. I feel really fortunate and really glad because I feel like the timing of these two things has actually been really good for me. And I was thinking about how if these two things happened to me a year ago, how differently I would have felt and how differently I might have reacted and what the impact would have been where where I'm at in my life right now, like with my job, it actually feels like really good timing. I'm really excited to dedicate more time to the podcast, to have the time and energy to really give this more. And with the friendship thing, I've also spent a lot of time this year investing in finding friendships and growing friendships and in really getting clear about what I want and need from friendships. And so even though it's devastating, of course, and it's hard to lose a job and there's a lot I need to figure out, you know, that Bentley and I need to figure out, it also feels like the universe just kind of pushing me toward change and towards growth and progress in a way that feels really nice. And I don't mean to say, you know, those two things were just like, whatever, moving along. But I am glad that I feel able right now to lean into the kind of energetic space, if you don't mind getting woo-woo with me for a minute, that is opening up in my life. And I feel like that's kind of how I'm seeing it, despite again, the challenges and how it can be hard, it also feels really good. And I wanted to share that with you all. This is the other thing I wanted to campfire chat about, which is on a completely different tangent. I think a lot about the hate comments that I get, as well you know. And something I've started doing lately, kind of a tactic I've employed, is when I get a hate comment and it feels really hurtful or I start feeling triggered by it more so in the sense of like this person is so dumb and so mean and why would they say something like this I've started to actually click on the person's profile nine times out of ten what this does is I'll click on their profile and I will look at their face and sometimes I'll scroll through their page if they're not private and usually the thing I wanted to share is they are very young I have found that so many of the people commenting on my stuff, this like defensive kind of angry attacking type comment is coming from either teenage people, mostly teenage girls or newly returned missionaries like that age, like fresh off a mission, sometimes married. And I think this is interesting because it just caused me to reflect on where that defensiveness is coming from. And it's just given me so much more compassion and perspective, knowing how many of these people who are reacting this way are so young and are so deeply just in it, just doing what they've been taught and trained to do their whole lives. And this isn't to excuse, you know, behavior or anything like that, but it's just given me a better perspective on it. And just realizing like, you know, thinking about who I was when I was a teenager and how different my worldview was. And it actually really makes me quite sad. I was looking at this girl who left kind of a crazy comment on one of my reels on Instagram. And I was just scrolling through her page and thinking like, oh, she's just so young and in such a small little universe of her own. And it's dominated by Mormonism. So of course, when she sees anything critical of the church or someone talking about being happily post-Mormon, it's going to pretty naturally elicit that kind of a response. I said nine times out of 10, that's the case. And on the 10th time, I'll usually find like a middle-aged man or a man my age. And that always just sometimes, not always, but often makes me angrier. So the tactic doesn't always work, but I found it an interesting exercise just to click on people and really look at who they are and try to humanize them. Not in this way of like, oh, I'm so above whatever. It still bothers me a lot. It does bother me a lot, but I kind of see it almost more as a case study. And I think that's kind of how I cope with a lot of the hate 
comments is looking at it as a case study of like, who are the type of people saying these things? What demographic are they from? Where do they live? And it's from that perspective, quite fascinating and helps me detach from the actual comments themselves, or how personal those comments can sometimes feel. The social media landscape, I can imagine for teenagers in this day and age is difficult. It's probably difficult to be a Mormon teen. The tides, it seems like, have turned or are turning kind of against Mormonism more generally on the internet, at least. At least from what I see, I could be completely off on that. But I think about what it must be like for teenagers who are learning in their home and going to seminary and being told this is right, the one true way, and everyone else is bad, and then going on the internet and seeing more and more content that might be contrary to Mormonism. That would be a really difficult thing, and it would create a lot of dissonance. And I'm not sad about it. I think it's good that they are seeing more perspectives, and I don't think it's great to have that defensive reaction, but I do find it interesting. And I've been wanting to kind of share my thoughts on that with you as well. Let's talk about Christmas, shall we? I did a small bit of research, and I want to read this little snippet about the origins of Christmas, the history of Christmas. In ancient Rome, December 25th was a celebration of the unconquered sun making the return of longer days. It followed Saturnalia, Saturnalia, like the planet, a festival where people feasted and exchanged gifts. The church in Rome began celebrating Christmas on December 25th in the 4th century during the reign of Constantine, the first Christian emperor possibly to weaken pagan traditions. I find it kind of funny that Constantine, the first Christian emperor, was probably like, oh, this is a really fun tradition. This is a really fun holiday. But, you know, I want Christianity to be the thing, so let's just make it about Christ's birthday. Why not? But I do think this is really interesting, and many of you wrote in about this whole concept, which is that Christmas, traditionally, at its origins, is a pagan Roman celebration. So it was not about Christ. Christ was added on later. And of course, that's not to diminish that for Christians— for a very, very long time, Christmas has been about Christ. But if you find yourself feeling weird about Christmas, it might be nice to know that actually at the very beginning, Christmas was a pagan holiday to celebrate winter, to celebrate the solstice, to celebrate the way the earth moves and seasons and those sorts of things. And that feels nice for me personally to think about how it all started in that way, in a way that feels more connected to nature. And then, of course, the Christ thing was added on later. I feel like I kind of knew that growing up. I don't really remember, but I hadn't actually thought about it that much since then. And I know a lot of you and a lot of people really like leaning into celebrating more of that type of thing around Christmas time. And I think that's really lovely. I think that can be a really beautiful way to do it. And you can do that regardless, but you have historical precedent for doing so as well, if that feels like a good way to celebrate for you. Interestingly for me, I don't find the Christ part of Christmas very triggering or very bothersome, and I think there's multiple reasons for that. Number one, I don't feel like Christmas for me growing up, even though I came from a very devout Mormon household, devout Mormon extended family members, it was never that much about Christ. So yes, I feel like in the messaging in my family culture, there would always be like, we're, you know, so grateful to celebrate Christ's birth. But then it was mainly just like eating good food, opening presents, hanging out with each other. So it didn't feel like Christ was super central in our Christmas celebrations. So I think that helps me not I don't know. I just don't feel like it was ever that big of a deal for me. But still, when I go to my grandma's house, we do a nativity scene. When I'm with extended family, I mean, it will be talked about briefly. When I'm with my own immediate family, I don't know. We don't really talk about it that much. So there's that element of it. And then for me, when we do the nativity or when it is spoken about with family, I almost feel connected to that in a traditional sense where I remember growing up doing the nativity, for example. And so doing the nativity feels less about Jesus and more about a family tradition that's connected to a heritage 
it doesn't feel like I'm worshiping Jesus by participating in the nativity or even singing Silent Night, Holy Night. It feels like I'm participating in traditions from my childhood and traditions that ancestors have participated in and that have been part of my family culture. So that's one thing. The other thing is that I don't think I feel, at least right now, that triggered by the Christ thing. And I think part of that is because as I've slowly deconstructed Christianity, I no longer believe in the divinity of Christ. I've actually found myself gaining even more, not even more, but gaining a respect for Christ as a historical figure and gaining more and more fascination about who Christ was in history and how Christ captured so much of the human imagination then and now, I find Christ and what he stood for and his teachings to actually be something that I really resonate with and that I really admire. So although I no longer worship him as God or the son of God, I don't feel triggered by talking about Jesus or learning about Jesus or even celebrating Jesus the same way I do around, say, Joseph Smith, who I find very problematic, unethical, you all know all that. So Christ feels better to talk about and learn about and again, sing about even. I can see how the worship thing could still get tricky and maybe will for me down the line. But where I'm at now, I think Christ, like I said, was a good person who was doing some pretty cool radical things to celebrate him doesn't feel that off-putting for me. And it feels detached to me from the Mormon stuff. Another thing I've been thinking about the Christ thing is I remember growing up Mormon, I remember people always saying like, oh, the Lord helped me through this. The Savior carried me through my challenges. I love Jesus so much. And I don't feel like I ever really connected to Jesus in that way. I remember I used to think about this sometimes where I'd be like praying to God and I felt connected to God spiritually. And then I always remember thinking, wait, but there's Jesus too. And I don't know how connected I really feel to Jesus because I don't pray to Jesus. The only way I ever really felt connected to Jesus was by reading the New Testament, which I love. I still love the New Testament, I think it's very beautiful and very poetic, and I loved reading the words and the teachings of Jesus, but I never felt like a personal connection with Jesus. And even the atonement, trying to access like the power of the atonement, always felt super vague and ambiguous and just not very real and practical to me. And so I think the Jesus thing, I was never that connected to except for in the sense that I was learning about Jesus and the things that he said and taught, and I appreciated those and learned from those, but never in this way of like Jesus, the spiritual figure I feel deeply connected to. And I wonder if part of that is because in Mormonism, if anyone's listening who doesn't know this, we believe, Mormons believe, that there are three separate beings. There's God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and then the Holy Ghost, which some other uh, denominations, some other sects and branches of Christianity believe that as well. But many people believe in the Trinity. So God and Jesus are one person. And I almost feel like I would have connected to Jesus more if I had believed in the Trinity, because I would have felt more personally connected through prayer and through spiritual promptings, where I never felt emotionally connected to Jesus in that sense, which has been really interesting to reflect on. But as I said, I really loved reading in the New Testament. I loved reading about Jesus's words and parables and stories. I think the Bible obviously is a very impactful text for a lot of reasons. And I know a lot of people resonate very deeply with the Jesus portrayed and written about in the New Testament, which it can get complicated with the New Testament stuff too. I want to, like I said, deep dive into this because, you know, the New Testament is secondhand accounts of Jesus, and there's a lot of historical debate about even when the New Testament was written and by whom. All that to say, if we're taking the New Testament as Jesus's actual words, I think they're lovely, and I think they teach many lovely things for the most part. So that's my little Jesus spiel for those who care. And I think all of those factors really kind of play into how I feel about Christmas, which as I said, is I now see it as a way of 
kind of honoring traditions and rituals that have been important to me in the past that remain important to many people around me and have been important to many people even before us. So I don't find myself feeling particularly, I don't know, off put by Jesus stuff. But we'll see. I'm kind of curious to see how that pans out this Christmas, especially, but I don't anticipate it being a problem for me. I can absolutely see why it would feel problematic and stressful and overwhelming and triggering for anyone listening. And that is so valid and so fair. If there's anything I've learned in course of this podcast, it's that obviously there's no one size fits all for deconstructing Mormonism or Christianity or anything. And so I know people are going to land all over the map on this. So I want to read through some questions to keep talking about it and through some suggestions for people who may find themselves feeling more triggered or around family members who choose to make it much more about Jesus or Mormon Jesus specifically. So let's dive into some questions and thoughts from you all. Here's one of the first thoughts kind of questions. I feel weird about putting up my nativity slash Jesus ornaments, but I also feel weird about not putting it up because it feels like tradition. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I have a couple nativity sets myself that Bentley and I kind of joked about last year. I think I set one of them up and we were kind of like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> we like put it away, I think, if I'm remembering right. So maybe that contradicts everything I just said about the Jesus thing, but yeah, I don't know. I think there's a difference to me in participating in other people's Jesus stuff around a holiday versus, you know, celebrating it in your own home or, you know, being Jesus-centered in your own home. But I don't know. I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. If it feels important to you to honor that tradition, you can have a nativity and not believe in the divinity of Jesus. You can. You are allowed to do that. You're also totally allowed to just not put it up. And maybe that will open space for new traditions or different decor that has different meanings for you and for your family. So basically, that was the least helpful answer on planet Earth. And I'm sorry that that wasn't helpful. But I guess I just think either way is completely fine and want to give permission and validation for that feeling tricky because I'm not sure if. I would put up a nativity anymore. I don't think I would personally, but like I said, I don't think there's anything wrong with it either if you want to honor it from a traditional sense. Next one. My partner really struggles with Christmas music about Jesus because she thinks it's really beautiful and they're nostalgic, but also we don't really want to hear songs about Jesus anymore, you know? Yes, I do know. I had a lot of people write in about the Christmas music stuff and how so much of it is centered around Jesus. I want to make a playlist, I will make a playlist, hopefully before this episode comes out, of non-religious Christmas songs, because I think it'd just be fun and nice to have a playlist where you're not going to encounter any religious themes, in case you don't want to. I feel the same way, though, in that there are so many Christmas songs that I find so beautiful, so nostalgic, that are about Jesus. So many of them, obviously. I've already listened to a few this holiday season. I don't maybe gravitate to them as much anymore, but I don't mind listening. And that goes back to all the things I said before. But yeah, maybe there's room for a little bit of that. But if it feels too complicated, I think there's plenty of really beautiful Christmas music out there. And I think there's something really beautiful, kind of like I was saying with the nativity thing, and maybe kind of like I was saying with my campfire chat at the beginning, ding, 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 little full circle moment, in Feeling a sense of loss around something, feeling a sense of loss around the fact that you don't resonate with Jesus songs anymore or with the nativity anymore, but knowing that that's opening up some space in your life for new, exciting things and things that will become nostalgic down the road. You know, like I think about this with my girls, there's a part of me that feels really sad that their Christmases might be or feel different than mine did growing up because of my religious beliefs. But I also think there's something really lovely about the space. Again, I know that's kind of a buzzword as well. And I'm surprised no one wrote in and said you say space too much because I do say it a lot. But in the space that that opens up for new traditions and new decor and new songs that down the road will feel nostalgic in that same way. And I think as a generation of people, a lot of us leaving the church, 
we're feeling that collective sense of loss together, but also that collective sense of excitement that we're kind of rooting out some of these more problematic things and creating new traditions that we can look back on and that our kids can look back on. And, you know, hopefully our kids won't have as many hangups around how they were raised and can keep traditions that feel less complicated for them. Ooh, I loved this idea. Someone said, I really want to do different traditions than my family used to because they were all very Jesus oriented. And I think I'm going to look at Scottish, Irish, Celtic traditions because that's my family heritage that got lost when they joined the church. This was such a light bulb moment for me when I realized, oh, there's such a wealth of traditions around celebrating Christmas that you can tap into. And I hadn't even thought of looking at my ancestry and where they came from and what those traditions are. And I think that's such a fun way of, you know, finding new traditions, finding things that are meaningful and resonate. So I loved this idea and thought it was worth sharing if anyone feels intrigued by that as well. Next question. My husband and I are struggling with how to talk to our four-year-old about Christmas slash Jesus post-Mormonism, since we're still trying to figure it all out ourselves, but also don't want them to be totally clueless once we're around all of our true believing Mormon family. Thoughts? Suggestions? This is so hard because I feel like I talk a big talk sometimes about parenthood, and I have twins who are 20 months old. So they do not understand these concepts yet. And when I actually think about the questions that they might ask, I realize how much more difficult it will be when I'm actually having to do it, right? Than just talk about it. So I don't really know because I'm not in that position myself. I always think that Google podcasts, books probably have so much good information on how to handle stuff like this. I was talking to a friend recently and she took her daughter to a baptism of a family member and it was the first time her daughter had been in a church building and she was saying her daughter was asking her questions like, wait, you know, what's a baptism? What's this all about? And she was just kind of talking about how crazy that can feel as a parent to have to answer those questions, especially when you still have family members who are true believing Mormons. So they're going to be around it, right? They're going to be seeing it or hearing about it probably inevitably. And it sounds really tricky and really complicated. But my friend was saying that her and her husband like got on Google and, you know, we're reading advice on how to answer those things. And I just find a lot of comfort in the fact that I know there are experts out there who don't have all the answers or, you know, it doesn't make it easier necessarily. But I'm hoping when I come to those bridges to just like consult experts and whatever information is out there about the best way to handle that. I also think I've said this before, and I know that this depends on the age of the child, but I hope when it is developmentally appropriate to really try and instill in my children that there are many ways to live life. There are many ways to relate to religion and spirituality and just really try and teach them and even show them that different people do it different ways. And so, yes, while family members might talk a lot about Jesus, Jesus is very important to them. We might not, you know, relate to Jesus in the same way as other people do. And just kind of trying to introduce that nuance and that understanding of the variety of belief earlier in life than I ever got it because I didn't get that until I was pretty much 20 fucking four. So that's my hope around kind of my underlying philosophy of parenting. But, you know, I'll get back to you when my girls are old enough to actually notice these things and start asking questions. In the meantime, you're doing a wonderful job. And I think to even be asking these questions shows so much self-awareness and so much really love toward your children to really want to set them up to be happy and to you know, interact well with their family members. I just think it shows that you are aware and you're trying. And I think that that goes a really, really long way. Okay, next one. My sister volunteers to sing every Christmas Sunday because I said I would only go back to church to support people talking or singing. It feels like some sort of backhanded loophole, but if I don't go, then I get accused of breaking promises. Ooh, tricky, tricky sister. That's a tricky one. I don't think it's breaking a promise if you don't want to go to church, even if your sister is singing at church at all. Maybe it will require communicating again and just, 
you know, readjusting kind of those boundaries you set and just saying, hey, I know I mentioned this before, but where I'm at now, I don't know if I can show up for every talk or every song because of X, Y, Z, or just because, if you just want to say just because. Basically, I'm saying I wouldn't feel like you've made a promise that needs to be set in stone. And if you feel like your sister is using your sign of goodwill and support to kind of manipulate you into going back to church, I think it is well within your right to say, actually, I'm not going to be there for church. Maybe you could even say, have someone record it on their phone, your song, and I would love to see it, or sing your song for me separately or something like that. But I just don't think that you need to just go because you said you would go if people talk or sing. And yeah, tricky sister. She knows what she's doing on that one. Okay, someone wrote in and said, new reason for the season. I'm currently deconstructing Christianity and struggling with Christmas. So let's talk about the reason for the season thing. I said before that Jesus always felt like part of the reason for the season in my family culture, but never the whole thing. I do think my family, my mom particularly, has done a really good job at reminding us growing up about the opportunities that the holidays can provide for service and for helping others who are less fortunate, for giving to those in need. And that is something that I will say I miss about the church. I think since leaving the church, I don't know, I I just think the church, for me at least, always did a good job of providing opportunities to serve. So you could kind of opt in to how you wanted to help and how you wanted to serve. They coordinated that service in ways that were really convenient. And now outside of the church, the last couple of Christmases, I haven't been as connected to community during the holidays as I'd like to be. And I've been less service oriented. And service even is a weird concept for me because so much of the service in the church for me, I found to be out of obligation. And I found to be kind of out of this, you know, checklist duty thing. And so I almost feel like I don't necessarily know how to tap into that service oriented side anymore without it feeling like an obligation or something. Maybe I'm just making excuses for being kind of selfish the past couple of years, but I don't know. I guess I'm just saying I used to kind of rate myself or I had these metrics for myself around how much I was serving in these like very textbook typical service ways, but I think there's a lot of ways we can serve. But the reason I went on this whole tangent in the first place is to say that I do feel like to me a reason for the season completely separate from religion, can be service. And I think incorporating some element of giving and of service into the holiday season is really important. I also don't think that that service needs to look a certain way. As Mormons, you grow up thinking service is raking the leaves off of your neighbor's lawn or, you know, going to the soup kitchen which are absolutely lovely things to do. Don't get me wrong. But I think there's lots of ways we can serve. And I think oftentimes the people who need it most are actually people very close to us in our own families, our friends, our neighbors. There are people close to you that you can find ways to give to and can find ways to love and show service for. So anyway, no conclusions on that thing. But I do think for me, a reason for the season would be serving and loving and trying to get out into the community and getting closer to people around me and being more aware of what they might need because the holidays can be really hard for people for a lot of reasons and it just provides opportunities to give and to help. Ooh, I thought this one was also very interesting. I'm nervous for the cognitive dissonance when I feel the spirit with all the Christmas music at church when I attend with my family on Christmas Sunday. Okay, I haven't broached this topic yet because there's a lot of research that needs to be done, but there is a term. It's called collective effervescence, and Adam Grant actually wrote a New York Times article on this, but it's basically a term. Let me actually look up the exact definition so I don't butcher this. 
Okay, collective effervescence refers to moments in societal life when the group of individuals that make up a society come together in order to perform a religious ritual. And when you do this religious ritual, you feel really good, basically because you're sitting around people who are all doing the same thing, who might have very similar convictions, and it makes you feel good. And I think there's so much there that explains so much about things that I considered spiritual experiences growing up in the church, but maybe you want to do a deep dive into that to help with your cognitive dissonance, because I think there's very real scientific psychological reasons that we feel certain ways when, for example, we sing Christmas songs all together and you're, you know, sitting in a familiar place, maybe like sitting at a chapel and doing a familiar thing that you have been told your whole life is associated with being a good person. So, Yes, I think that cognitive dissonance is very real, very valid to feel that way. And I have found it really useful for my cognitive dissonance, which I also feel to kind of explore the psychology behind why we feel some of those ways. And then maybe it will give you permission just to lean in to the good feeling and know that it doesn't mean that Mormonism is true. It can just mean that you enjoy being around family, that you enjoy music, that you enjoy singing music with people around you, you know, so collective effervescence, put a pin in that because we'll talk about it more in depth. Someone wrote in and said, it's our first Christmas since leaving and I want to find some cute Christmas cocktail recipes to try Christmas Eve while we stuff stockings and wrap presents. Something about a few drinks with my bestie under the tree while we prep Christmas ready for our babies sounds so cozy and fun. Did that not just send serotonin into every little corner of your body? That sounds so cozy and fun and made me feel so excited to be sitting around the Christmas tree with Bentley, maybe enjoying a little drink if we want to. And yeah, just realizing kind of, again, like I was saying before, now I've said this five times, but losing certain traditions is hard, but you can gain new traditions that will feel meaningful in a different way. And I thought this was a fun little tradition idea to have a cute little Christmas cocktail on Christmas Eve after the kids go to sleep. So thanks to whoever wrote that in. That sounds cozy as hell, and I hope you enjoy it. I think I'll do it too. Now I'm going to read some Christmas stories about Christmas's past, holiday seasons past, where some Mormonism things have reared their crazy head. Okay, first one. I served my mission in Portugal, and my mission president told us to treat it like any other day, aka you can only stay at a member's house for one hour maximum and need to go knocking door to door. We spent the whole day having people yell at us in Portuguese because we were interrupting their family meals on Christmas Day. You guys, I was talking about this last night with my sister. My sister served in Chile, and she had to do this too on her mission, which was, let's see, that would have been six, seven years ago, she spent her day on Christmas. She said she could go to a member's house and have a Christmas meal for an hour. And then her and her companion spent the rest of the day knocking on people's doors, doing a normal missionary tracting day. Can you imagine? Apparently this is common because this person wrote in, a couple other people wrote in. I did not have to do this on my mission. Thank you, President Kozak, my mission president, who was honestly pretty chill and pretty cool in most ways, but he did not make us go door to door on Christmas. I actually remember him talking about it and he was like, that's insane. People are having family time on Christmas. We don't need to send you out to like interrupt people's family time. And Christmas in Germany, wow, Christmas in Germany as a missionary was almost worth the whole 25 years of Mormonism I put in because Christmas in Germany was so magical there was something kind of particularly magical about doing it as a missionary because, yes, I was away from family, which sucked, and I was homesick, but kind of in this nostalgic way where I knew that it would be this really memorable Christmas for me forever, and it was, and it continues to be, and Berlin at Christmas time is absolutely unreal. I was actually in my first area, Zwickau, so I wasn't in Berlin proper, and it was this cozy kind of eastern german town and there were christmas markets which if you've been to europe during christmas time you know they are so dreamy and the food is so good i just feel so christmasy just thinking about it they have all these booths and all this food and it just feels so festive and so fun and as a missionary like during lunch hour we could go and we would 
go get some food. We would get like a waffle or something. And Germany at Christmas time was just really magical because it's such a big deal that even though we were still doing missionary work up until Christmas, there was just a lot of fun stuff going on. People are just so into Christmas there. And I remember one day we got home from tracting and a member had come over, the member in our ward who was kind of like in charge of our apartment. So she had an extra key and she had set up Christmas in our missionary apartment. So we had beautiful Christmas decor. I'll try and find some photos so I can post them. But I remember there was beautiful Christmas decor. We had like a mini tree. It just felt very festive, which I know a lot of missionaries don't get that, but it felt cozy. It felt festive. And I'm really grateful I had such a cozy Christmas on my mission. Also in Germany, Christmas is three days long. They actually have three national holidays for Christmas, the day before Christmas day and the day after. So I think we weren't allowed to tract, like go door to door or talk to people on the street, maybe even for those three days. So it was this amazing break. And we just went to members' houses and spent a little more time in the apartment. And it was really nice. Sorry, I just bragged for so long about my mission Christmas because that would suck so bad to be away from your family on Christmas, knocking on people's doors and getting yelled at in Portuguese to go away. So if you had to do that, I'm very sorry. Next story. When I asked my in-laws for their Christmas wish list, the only thing they had put down was a grandbaby. Husband and I had only been married for six months. Were they seriously asking us to fuck each other as their Christmas gift? Gross. Anyway, we went ahead and gifted them a very expensive couple's massage for Christmas. Later that day, they told us that we had ruined Christmas by not announcing a grandbaby for them. These grandparents need to get a grip. The way that grandparents are so baby hungry. I mean, I get it. Like, obviously, it will be special to be a grandparent if I ever am one one day. And I think it's lovely that they care about their grandchildren if and when their children choose to have them. But wow, trying to tell a couple, a newly married couple to have a baby and then literally being disappointed that on your behalf, they didn't get pregnant. And uh, excuse me, a couple's massage? Enjoy your couple's massage and wait a few years to maybe get a grandbaby and maybe you won't get a grandbaby. And that is not something that you are entitled to. You are not entitled to your kids having a grandbaby on your behalf. The pressure to have kids from parents is very stressful, very overwhelming, and needs to GTFO. Okay, my three siblings and I are all post-Mormon, but my parents are still very much active. My mom keeps trying to get rid of family traditions we've been doing for years because, quote, what's the point of celebrating if none of you even believe in Jesus? This one, you can just hear and see the mom saying this, being like, well, we're not even going to do the nativity because none of you believe in Jesus anymore. It's like, mom, we can do the nativity. Nobody asked you not to. Or if you don't want to do the nativity, then just choose not to do the nativity. This little blame game is something that I have heard about from many a friend about their mothers or mothers-in-law. Luckily, my mom doesn't do this, but yeah, I'm sure many of you relate. Next one. My stepmom wouldn't allow me to buy a Christmas gift for a friend because the tag on the item said Xmas. She claimed that the company was satanic because they cut the word Christ out of Christmas. Oh, the war on Christmas. The perceived war on Christmas that always ends up being a talking point, probably on Fox News every year, where you know, those satanic people are trying to take Christ out of Christmas by calling it Xmas or by saying happy holidays, which is so interesting too, because A, obviously not everyone in the United States of America believes in Christ. And so if people choose to celebrate some form of Christmas or the holidays, but don't believe in Christ, they should be able to do so. And it really is more inclusive to say happy holidays or even Xmas maybe because you're saying, yeah, you know, happy holidays. I hope you're having a good holiday season, whatever that means to you, as opposed to maybe this underlying assumption under a Merry Christmas that someone shares your same religious beliefs and convictions. That said, this might sound tricky. I'm trying to think how I want to say this. I do think sometimes people get a little bit um, 
a little bit too hyper-focused maybe on the political correctness around that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I shouldn't say this. But I feel like if someone said to me, for example, Merry Christmas, I wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, I don't believe in Christ. I would just be like, I get the sentiment, right? Like, I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to wish me a happy holidays and that's wonderful. I don't feel like it needs to be more complicated or deeper than it needs to be. But yes, the Xmas thing, I remember hearing about that since I was a kid and it being kind of a big deal when people would say Xmas or write Xmas instead of Christmas. Yeah, maybe now I'm an Xmas person, an ex-Mormon miss. Happy ex-Mormon miss. <laughs> We're ex-people, maybe now. Ex-Mormon, ex-miss instead of Christmas. But no, I don't mind the Christmas thing. I think that's funny that your stepmom thought it was satanic that they said X instead of Christ. Oh my gosh, this one. My mother and father-in-law make us pick three hymns to sing in front of just them two. We are all 20 to 35 years old. We sing it just to them. It is the most awkward thing I've ever done. I wish we had some more context on this one because, excuse me, what? You have to go in a room alone or something? It says you sing to just the two of them. So I'm curious, like, do they go in a room and then you go in the room and it's just the two of them staring at you while you sing not one, not two, but three Christmas hymns? Also, I'm realizing that when I was talking about the sister singing, one of the options I said is just tell the sister to sing the song to you. So I'm not suggesting that you and your sister go alone in a room together while she sings a hymn to you and stares into your eyes, similar to this story, because that does sound incredibly awkward, very strange request to ask your adult children to do, and very curious how this came about and why y'all are still going along with this. Okay, every year my family does gifts to Jesus for Christmas. We sit down, write out what we plan to give Jesus in the next year, usually church-related. For example, read and study scriptures more or go to the temple more often. We will also read out loud what we wrote the year before and reflect on how we did as far as following through with our gifts to Jesus. It's been uncomfortable the last few years since leaving the church because I haven't fully come out to my family that I've left, although they definitely know based on the comments that they make. I started writing down things that have nothing to do with the church and more to do with me. In my head, it's more of a gift to myself and promises I make to myself, and that's made me feel better. I'll write things like being kinder to myself or places I want to travel to. Clearly not church-related, but showing a clear message to my family, at least I hope, that I'm thinking beyond the walls of the church, and I hope to inspire them to do the same. I really loved this example because I think it points out, one, how families can be tricky and complicated in a way that I don't feel like mine is, meaning that people really do make things really, really Christ-centered in a way that I think I would feel very uncomfortable or not even uncomfortable, just annoyed with and frustrated with. Because as this person said, setting an intention for the next year can actually be a really beautiful thing, but making it a gift to Jesus in this really religious way and making it a religious thing can feel just annoying and not relatable to everybody. But I also liked how this person said they are using this tradition and kind of adapting it in a way that feels better to them. And I think that's a really good practice. And I feel like that's something that can be a useful tool for navigating a Mormon Christmas as a non-Mormon is just saying maybe there's some of these traditions that I'm not going to buy into in the exact same way, but I don't have to opt out entirely or I don't have to, you know, ask my family to not do that anymore, but you can just apply it in a different way, maybe, if that feels okay to you. And I thought this was a really nice example of doing that. I went to a big cabin for Christmas with my sister's in-laws. Everyone there was true believing Mormon, but me. I brought my boyfriend who I had 50% been living with. My sister had originally said we could come, but then later said we'd have to sleep in separate rooms or he would have to sleep on the couch. This was to respect the in-laws rules as they were presiding authority in the home for the holiday. I get it, but my boyfriend was furious. He is never Mormon, so culturally he doesn't understand. We ended up renting an Airbnb nearby instead and went back and forth to the cabin. Though it was nice to have our own cozy space, it would have been nice to just save money and be with the group. It was a feeling of isolation because we don't hold the same beliefs or what they would say standards. There was a lack of acceptance for us and our relationship as adults in our mid-30s. Hello. I think that was even more frustrating to my boyfriend. We are fucking adults. 
This one I've heard about a lot. I didn't have to face it because I was married before I left, but I know that parents get really principled when it comes to allowing people to sleep in the same bedroom, which I find so, so, so silly. It just feels like making a point. It feels like saying, I don't agree with your decision and it has to be known and you have to suffer for it too, which these kids know that their parents don't agree or their in-laws don't agree. It just feels annoying that parents have to make a stance about not letting partnerships who are obviously having sex with each other, who maybe already live with each other, that they don't allow them just to share a room. I think it's really rude. I honestly find it disrespectful because, yeah, you don't have to agree. You don't have to agree with premarital sex. You don't have to agree with any of those things, but they are full-grown adults. To make them just not sleep together for a few nights is just making a point. It's just doing something on principle because it's not actually doing anything except for making them feel less comfortable than they could be otherwise. I don't know. Maybe I'm out of line. If it's their house, I guess they get to make the rules, right? And I think you did the right thing by saying like, no, we want to sleep together, so we'll just do that in our own space. But it bugs me. I just don't think it's necessary. Oh, someone said, go get a morning coffee or just deal without while at LDS parents' home. I forgot to read that question, but that story reminded me of it. And this is an interesting debate. I don't know. I don't know. Because I was just talking about with the two adults being able to sleep together. I think they should be able to do that. But then when it comes to coffee and alcohol, I get weird about it around my family. Not with coffee anymore. I was for a while. And then slowly we just kind of warmed them up. And now we talk about coffee. We drink coffee. It's not a problem. But with alcohol, I still feel kind of weird about it. More so like I know my mom doesn't like it that I drink alcohol. So for me, I'm like, whatever. I don't need to like drink alcohol in her presence. But my family is going to Mexico. We're going to Cancun in like May-ish and we'll be at an all-inclusive resort for the first time. And obviously it's fun to get drinks when you're at an all-inclusive resort and it's included. So Bentley and I have kind of been talking about like, are we going to drink around my family? And what would that look like? And I don't know. That's a tricky one. I think That one does feel a little bit more complicated for me. And while I always want to say, just live your truth and do your thing, I also can understand because I do so myself, just it not being worth it to rock the boat, you know, just being like, yeah, I could. And I don't have to like change everything I do to appease my parents or appease the people I'm around. But if it's going to be an issue, then I also can just like not drink coffee for a few days. So I don't know. But with coffee, coffee is so different than alcohol to me, where it's just objectively completely, completely safe. And you're not going to act any different if you're drinking coffee. Like you're not going to get buzzed like when you're drinking alcohol. I would say maybe try and get a coffee and just make it a non-issue. And hopefully it won't be an issue because it shouldn't be and it doesn't need to be. Okay, this is the last write-in I will read. I really wanted to go to Christmas service last year, so I convinced my family to go to our ward. Not once did they mention the Christmas story or Christ. Instead, talks shamed people for leaving or not being active and had Joseph Smith worship. My family came home and cried. Ugh, that sucks. I'm really sorry, and I remember feeling this way too. It's kind of been this never-ending back-and-forth wrestle within the Mormon church of no, no, we're Christ-centered. We are Christ-centered. But it always feeling less Christ-centered and more Joseph Smith-centered and more Mormon-specific doctrine-centered, at least oftentimes and at least in my experience. And I think were I to attend a church service, if I wanted to think about Christ, if I that felt important to me, I would probably choose a different service to attend than a Mormon service because it could be great. You could look out and get a wonderful Christ-centered service if that's what you were looking for, or you could get this, which is shame about people who leave the Mormon church and talk about Joseph Smith and that sort of thing. I don't know if the church has ever done a fantastic job about actually being super Christ-centered. It depends. I'm sure it's a case-by-case basis, but yeah, not surprised that that was your experience, but I am sorry because that sounds 
sad when you were hoping for something different than that. There was one more thing I wanted to talk about, about Christmas, and that is the Santa thing, because I had some people write in and say that they know Mormon families who don't do Santa, who don't tell their kids about Santa or say, you know, Santa's not real because they feel like Santa detracts from Christ and they want to keep their kids focused on Christ so they don't talk about Santa. And I thought that was so interesting because I, on the other side of things, have been having an internal debate about Santa myself, not because I want Christmas to be Christ-centered, but because I have some Santa hangups. Obviously, because of religious stuff, I don't know how comfortable I feel really leaning into the Santa narrative with my kids because it feels just like dishonest and not transparent in a way that I feel kind of uncomfortable with. And because when I grew up, I remember very vividly when I found out that Santa wasn't real. My parents would record everything on this little camcorder, and of course, they would record Christmas morning, and one day we were watching back through some home videos from the camcorder, and it switched from a scene of like Christmas Eve to a scene of my mom and dad doing like Christmas present stuff, and it was like Santa's gifts that they were like wrapping. My dad or mom like hurriedly like kind of turned off the TV, and I realized like, oh, Santa's not real because they were the ones wrapping the Santa gifts. And I felt so bad about it. And I felt like I shouldn't know. And I felt like it was bad that I knew Santa wasn't real. So I had like this guilt and shame around knowing Santa wasn't real. And I felt like I needed to pretend like Santa was real still in order to appease the adults around me. And so I just kind of have an association of that with Santa, not necessarily finding out Santa wasn't real and being devastated Santa wasn't real, but more finding out and feeling like it was wrong that I knew that. So maybe that's where my Santa hangups come from. But also, again, of course, just because many things I was taught as a child through Mormonism, I later found out were not true. And so I just think honesty and transparency are such high priorities for me as a parent. And I don't mean to say, I really, really do not mean to say that if you do Santa with your kids, you're dishonest and lying to your kids at all. I think it's a very specific thing that is just unlike anything else, right? I guess it's like the tooth fairy or the Easter bunny. And I think those things can be so beautiful and magical. And I do feel like I had a lot of magic and really good memories tied to those things as a kid. So... I'm not in any way making a judgment on people who do that, and I very well might completely do the Santa thing. I actually don't know. Like I said, my girls are two, so I haven't faced that yet, but it has caused a lot of reflection for me, and I posted a TikTok about it, and I have just been reading through comments of people who loved doing Santa as a kid, people who hated doing Santa as a kid, parents who love doing Santa now, parents who hate doing Santa now. It's just a really interesting kind of thing to think about why or why you wouldn't do that. But I thought it was funny reading these stories of people who wrote in and said, oh, you know, we couldn't do Santa. And I wish we did Santa because it was all about Christ. And then I was thinking, damn, what if I take Santa away from my kids and Christ away from my kids? Are they going to resent me forever <laughs> that they're, you know, that their peers were all like, yay, Jesus and yay, Santa. And I was like, Santa's not real and Jesus isn't divine. Anyway, I just wanted to kind of talk about my thoughts on that. And like I said, no conclusions. I don't think there's a right or wrong there, but that's been an interesting one to reflect on too, how Santa fits into the whole Christmas thing. And, you know, for some Christians, they think Santa's evil. So, you know, there's these Venn diagrams that overlap in really kind of funny, ironic ways sometimes. Those are my final Christmas thoughts. Per usual, no very specific answers to some of these questions, but I hope it feels good just to know that you're not alone. There's a lot of people out there who are figuring this all out, who are newly post-Mormon or who are faith transitioning and are just trying to figure out what does this important holiday or this holiday that used to be important, what does this look like for me? What does this feel like for me now? And I do think that things feel better over time and things will make more sense over time. And I hope that that's the case for you. And I hope that you have a really good holiday season, no matter how you celebrate, no matter what your grandpa says to you or doesn't say to you, 
just family time in general can be tricky and the holidays come with a lot of family time or maybe a lack of family time that you wish you could have. So I'm just sending love out to anyone going through that. And I hope you know you're not alone and that we are all in this together. Whether we believe in Christ, whether we believe in Santa, you know, we're all working through it in some way or another. Thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to talk to you next week. Lots of fun things in store for this month. And I'm coming up on the year anniversary of Girls Camp because I started last January. So I've been doing a lot of reflecting and have lots to share on the horizon. Thanks so much for being here for it. Merry Xmas. G-I-R-L.